Now, I'm going to talk a few minutes to give you time to get there. Uh, you'll never find it. It is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's less than a page long. It is right before the book of Jonah, where you were last week. So you may have stuck your bulletin in it, Jonah. Uh, you might start there. Uh, but find the book of Obadiah. If you don't have a Bible, look right in front of you in the pew rack in front of you and take that paper Bible and uh, find the book of Obadiah. We'll be there together. I leave for vacation in the morning, not bragging, just saying I, I will be on the beach for two weeks, which is what I love to do. Uh, I think you know how much I love being your pastor. Uh, I love being your pastor, and vacation is something that hasn't always come easy for me. I don't disengage very easily. My heart and my mind stay with you. Uh, so pray for me. Pray that I can relax. Pray that we can just have a good time as a family. I am uh, mostly packed. I am more packed right now than in any previous years. All right, Casey? I have four bathing suits in a suitcase. And... <laughs> And that's kind of all I need. But I'm mostly there. Casey has shaved my back, people. I am ready for the beat. Um, if I don't do that, I look like, like the world's skinniest, whitest gorilla uh, out on the sand. So uh, that is uh, part of our preparation. What a good woman I have. She's just so good. Obadiah is a book in the Bible that you've probably skipped over before. Probably you're used to skipping over it. It's hard to find. You probably hardly ever heard anybody preach from it. I doubt you've ever memorized a verse out of the book of Obadiah. It is, it is just not one of those books in the Bible that, that we read, and it's not pleasant to read. And most of us are in the habit of skipping over anything in the Bible that isn't just immediately pleasant to us. Some people, sort of their whole exposure to the Bible is an app or a calendar that sort of gives them a verse of the day, a, a Bible promise of the day, so something like that. And, and some of us live our whole lives just sort of skipping through the Bible from happy promise to the next happy promise. And, and, and I, I appreciate the fact that so many people are encouraged by the Word of God. But, but if all you ever get is a verse of the day, and if that verse every day is always something happy, then, then I would question your real involvement with Scripture. But because the truth is, we often need something that is not just a happy promise. So that's what makes me wonder about those Bible calendars, you know, of, of promises. Where's the Bible calendar of wrath? You understand? Because sometimes what we need is not just a, a, a day brightener, a, a verse that brightens our day. What we need is the gospel truth. What, what we need is to have our sin pointed out. What we need is to see our true face in a mirror, as the book of James says. So I, I don't think you'll ever have a calendar that says, because you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Have a nice day. Um, but, but Obadiah gives you those kinds of verses. Your own sins will come back upon your head. I mean, this is Obadiah. But if that is what you need to hear, then that is what you need to hear. And Obadiah was a prophet who was given that message from the Lord for, for people. For us naturally, but also very first for a nation called Edom. And let me talk a little bit about Edom before we jump in. Anybody know who the nation of Edom is descended from? Esau, exactly. Esau had a fraternal twin brother. His name was Jacob. We have Jacob and Esau. Jacob became the father of a great nation, and that nation is, was Israel. 
Jacob is the father of Israel. But his brother Esau, as you remember, they were twins. And so even in their mother's belly, they elbowed, they kicked, they jostled one another. They've always been rivals. And their story as brothers is a story of rivalry, jealousy, bitterness, and, and in the end, reconciliation. Well, remember that both of those boys were eventually blessed by their father. Jacob got the, the best, the better, the first blessing. But Esau was also blessed. And Esau was also the father of a nation. That nation became known as Edom. And all through the Old Testament, you will see that these brother nations, these rival nations, continue to jostle and wrestle and be right beside each other. If you read the Old Testament, especially the book of Deuteronomy, there are several admonitions for Israel to respect and love and show kindness to their brother Edom, their brother nation Edom. But then understand, in, in about the year B.C., 586, 587, something devastating, absolutely devastating happened in the nation Israel. They were completely uh, conquered, defeated, plundered by the nation Babylon. The temple was destroyed, and the Jews experienced a, a, an awful and brutal holocaust. Here's the thing. Edom, their brother nation, was right there. They saw it happening. They did nothing. They did nothing. And the book of Obadiah is a horrible word of judgment for anyone who sees evil happening and does nothing. So, so let's read Obadiah and then talk about what it means to be a bystander. I'm not going to read all of it. We could. It's really only 21 verses. But let me just read the first four verses and then jump down to verse 10. Only one chapter. And this is the beginning. Verse 1. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready everyone, let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations, you will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully? But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. Verse 10, here's their sin. Because of the violence you did to your brother Jacob, your brother Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. When they were invaded, you stood aloof. What's aloof mean? You stood aloof. Aloof. Yeah, you, you stood at a distance. You, you stood right there, but you did nothing. You stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem, but you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in the terrible time of trouble. The day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. 
As you have done to Israel, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads. In, in any situation of violence, there are actually probably three positions that a person could take or three positions you can identify. First off, there will be this, say the word, Attacker, yeah, if there's violence, if there's evil, there's going to be a, a, a perpetrator here. And that person we could call the, the attacker. The, the next, there is the, the victim. There's the victim. If there's an attacker, there's got to be somebody who is being victimized, a, a weak, defenseless, or otherwise victimized person. This is the object of the, the brutality. And the next, in, in any one of these situations, there are going to be, say the word, bystanders. They're going to be bystanders. It's, it's not very often that you have a, a horrible act of violence or evil on, on any sort of scale where there's not somebody who's a witness, somebody standing by. Now, the basic definition of bystander is, is someone who is present but not taking part in a situation or, or event. So it's somebody who is, is present but not necessarily taking part. A, a, a bystander, uh, understand, just, just a bystander. Now, in our culture, in, in the English language, we often talk about an, an innocent bystander. I was just an innocent bystander. So in other words, the bystander is not taking part in the violence, not taking part in the evil, in, in, not participating in any way. They just sort of happen to be there, wrong place, wrong time, th that sort of thing. An innocent bystander. We just typically assume that if you're not the attacker, if you're not the one who's perpetrating evil or perpetrating violence, then therefore you're innocent. You can't be held guilty. You can't be uh, in any way assigned blame for what happened. You just were at the wrong place at the wrong time. You just happened to, to be there. In, in our minds, you just can't sin if you don't do anything. You have to do something to sin. Can you actually sin by doing nothing? Last summer, there was a horrible car crash in Dallas, Texas on Highway 67, I believe, and, and, and it made the news. The news story was, was alarming, to, to say the least. It, it was a car crash with a couple, a man and woman, a single car crash. Uh, it was one of those highways with, with the concrete barriers, and they went into one of the barriers, and witnesses said it was like a NASCAR accident where you just saw debris flying, and, and, and then the car burst into flames. An off-duty police officer happened to be one of those behind the, 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 the car that the couple was driving, and so Anthony Williams, the police officer, was actually one of the first on the scene. He was off-duty. They, they called for help immediately, but help did not arrive fast enough. The, the car burst into flames. And then uh, Officer Williams describes the situation where this man and woman begin to be burning alive. The, 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 they're being burned alive. He started screaming for, for people to help. He started screaming, does anybody have a fire extinguisher? You have a fire extinguisher in your, in your car. It's just anything at all to, to, to try to start fighting these flames. And he described being able to talk to the man and talk to the woman who, who were burning alive and trapped in their car. It's, that part of the news story was hard to watch. Uh, Officer Williams was very um, just shattered by what he had seen, th these two people being burned alive, 
But the worst part of what he describes was the next part. He said that at the scene were actually a lot of people who, who began to pull their cars over and, and come over, but they didn't help. None of them helped. Instead, they all got out their iPhones and videoed it. Officer Williams said at one point he had to ask a woman, will you please move? He was trying with the only fire extinguisher they had found. He was trying to come and put the flames out on the man's body. But there was a woman in the way with her phone out taking video of a man dying. The officer was shaken by the bystanders. And one of the things he said was that, was that all of these people, rather than just stand by as if their job was to take video, they should have responded like, like first responders. They should have tried to do something to help. Officer Williams said even if they had like a bottle of water in their car, if they could have poured a bottle of water on that poor woman, it might have brought some comfort to her in her dying moments. But they weren't even thinking like that, not even thinking about the smallest thing they might do to help. They just stood there with their phones and shot video. Again, I ask you, is it possible to sin in, in, in what you don't do? Is it possible to be held guilty when, when honestly, you're just a bystander? You're not the one who set the fire, you're not the one who caused the, the accident. You just happen upon it, but, but there you are. Is it possible somehow to sin by doing nothing? I, I see your heads nodding. I think by now we all agree it absolutely is. It is absolutely possible to be guilty of sin, even though you haven't done anything. Throughout the history of the church, we've sort of had two categories of sin. There are sins of commission, and those are sins that I actually commit. These are things that I actually do, and I have a long list of sins of commission in my own life. I commit sin. I sin by what I do. But there's another category of sin that we don't talk about as much, and these are sins of not commission, but omission, sins of omission. These aren't the things in my life that I commit that are evil. These are the things in my life that I omit that are good, the things that I should be doing, the things that God would call me to do, and yet I, I do not do these things. There are sins of commission, and there are sins of omission. The book of Obadiah is a blistering word of judgment to the nation of Edom for their sins of omission primarily. You stood by, the Lord says, when your brother was suffering, when your brother was victimized, when your brother was brutalized, your brother nation Israel was plundered and destroyed, and you stood aloof. Obadiah says, you stood by and you did nothing, and now your sins will come upon your own heads. It's, it's, a, it's a little frightening, but, but there are basic lessons in the book of Obadiah, and it's interesting that, that we skip this book because I, don't, I, I think I could come up with these same lessons in other portions of Scripture, but you really need the book of Obadiah to be able to communicate the truths here. It is a sin to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. It is a sin to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. It is 
always a sin to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. My struggle in this sermon is that the only way this sermon can, can speak to you is if you are willing to look at your own life and think about the people in your path. Because this is what we're talking about. The people in your path, the people that are within the reach of your influence, the ones that you could actually help, the situations in which you could make a, a difference, it is a sin always a sin to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. Now, the world itself is an overwhelming crash scene, like the scene in Dallas, where people are suffering, people are, are, are dying, people are lost right before our very eyes. And maybe the, the scale of it, maybe the scope of it, maybe the way you sit in front of Fox News all day long and all you hear all day long is bad news, maybe eventually you just become callous to it. I, I don't know. When I hear about the numbers of babies aborted every day, every week, every month, every year, my, my brain can't contain that. I don't know how to respond to that. I don't even know how to absorb that. You know what I'm saying? And so for the most part, I stand by and, and do nothing. I, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. Is it possible that, that I, is it possible, that you, is it possible that, 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 that the church could be held guilty one day for all of the deaths of all of these babies who just die and we stand by and do nothing? But we don't do nothing. Sometimes we'll put a little something on our Facebook post about something like that, you understand? I, I, or we'll talk about it. I mean, we, we talk about things, we talk so much, we feel like we actually did something, but we haven't done anything, and it is a sin, always a sin, to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. We watch on the news about this group ISIS that's just moving through the Middle East. Our government talked about the Arab Spring, which was apparently something we were supposed to have celebrated as it erupted a few years back. The Arab Spring has turned into a Christian winter. Do you understand this? More Christians die now every day at the hand of at the hands of evil men. I mean, Christians are persecuted now every single day. The nation of Iraq used to have one of the most ancient and beautiful Christian populations in the world. I mean, the Christians in Iraq were descendants of the original apostles. The, 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 the Christian community, they're dated all the way back to Paul. Do you understand how many pastors have had their heads cut off and put on post in, in Iraq? Do you understand how many men, women, boys, and girls have lost their lives for the simple reason that they were people of the cross? No, our, our leaders act like that's not happening. We don't hear anything about that. There are more Christians dying now in persecution than in the first century under Rome. It's happening now. And the fact that, that our leaders, the fact that the Western world does nothing only makes the, the evildoers more bold. You're saying it's escalating, it, it's getting worse. 
It is a sin, always a sin to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. You've got to understand that when Obadiah says from the Lord, the day is near when I will judge all godless nations, we may be living in one of those nations. Do you understand? We may be living in one of those nations that will suffer judgment. It is a sin, always a sin, to stand by and do nothing when others are suffering. In every situation, Christ compels you to do all the good that you possibly can. In every situation, Christ compels you and me to do all the good that we possibly can. Actually, I would encourage you to do a a, a little bit of research into what... uh, Experts call the bystander effect. It's actually something that has been well studied and well documented. And you and I live it out most every single day because we are bystanders. We we are most always bystanders. The bystander effect, basically, it it is the idea that in any situation where where something horrible is happening, an atrocity, an evil evil attack, violence, there, there are bystanders, people who stand by, and they don't do anything. And, and, and the principle of that is that the more bystanders there are, the less likely any of them will do anything. Isn't that amazing? In other words, you're more likely to help if you're the only person there. But if you had one more person, you're less likely to help. And the more people there are standing around gawking, the less likely any of them are to actually move forward and, and, and do something. That's called the bystander effect. In those situations, you and I tend to, to say, there may be something inside our own heart, inside our own gut that rises up and says, somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to do something. You have that instinct, don't you? Don't you often watch TV? Don't you often see a situation at work or school and something inside you tells you that that, that is evil, that that is wrong, and somebody ought to stop that? Somebody ought to do something? But the problem is, in your mind, in my mind, that somebody is just never us. Somebody ought to do something, but that somebody is never you. You never seem motivated to actually get involved. And for whatever reason, you don't really want to get involved. Situations of evil, situations of suffering are ugly. And for the most part, you don't want any part of that. So you wag your head and you feel really sorry for the person who's suffering. But feeling sorry is not helping. Feeling sorry is never, ever the same as actually doing something to help. And in every situation where someone is suffering, it is a sin to stand by and watch them suffer. It is a sin to stand there and watch people die. But the more bystanders you have and you just keep stacking them up, the less likely it is that anybody will actually help. That's caused by what they call the diffusion of responsibility. The, the diffusion of, of responsibility. In other words, I, it's kind of everybody's job. Everybody ought to be loving and caring for neighbors. Everybody ought to be involved in making the world a better place. All of us should be involved in spreading the gospel and helping the poor. All of us should do that. But any job that is everybody's job is pretty much nobody's job. Have you noticed? If it's everybody's job, nobody will do it. Somebody ought to, but it's never going to be you, is it? Never going to be you. It's never actually going to be you that does anything to help the poor. And you have poor people in your community. Woodburn is filled with poor people, and we just cannot be bothered to cross the street and help. Now, somebody ought to, 
but it's never going to be us. It's, it's the bystander effect, and it comes under the judgment of God. If you read the book of Obadiah, which none of us ever do, in, in, in every situation, Christ compels us to do all the good that we possibly can. I just can't imagine that Dallas accident scene where, where those people die in flames and, and others stand by and film that with their, with their iPhones. But, but understand that the whole world is a tragic scene like that. And, and we are surrounded by people who suffer. We are surrounded by evil men, evil women. There, there are attackers in the world, perpetrators. And, and their goal is simply to do the work of the devil. The scriptures say the thief comes, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that just simply means wherever you see stealing, killing, and destroying, that's the devil's work. And there are apparently in this world plenty of people who will do the devil's work. You understand what I'm saying? And with that, there is therefore a world full of victims, people who suffer at the hands of evildoers, people who are stolen from and killed and destroyed simply because of the work of evil men and women. The world is a bad accident scene. Do you understand that? There is a world full of, of evildoers, attackers. There is a world full of victims, people who suffer. And there is a world full of bystanders, people like you and me who honestly, we just don't want to be involved. I am on my way to the beach. Please don't bother me with how ugly the world is. Now, the thing about Christian bystanders, I mean, again, anybody can be a bystander, but Christian bystanders, I, I think we, we've got sort of our own way of doing nothing. Now, we do nothing in such a way where we actually feel like we did something. In other words, if we just sort of get together and complain about it, complain about how ugly the world is, complain about how bad the world is. And like I say, if we just put something on our Facebook page or if the preacher will preach a sermon that makes us feel really bad, if we feel bad enough, we actually feel like we did something. That guilt that we feel sometimes makes us feel like, therefore, we won't be held accountable because we felt bad. But I'm telling you, Christian bystanders that talking about something and complaining about something and, 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 and just feeling bad about something is not the same as being faithful to God. You understand, we act as if Christ has us in the world just to talk things to death when actually he sends us out into the world in his name to conquer death. We just talk things to death. We form another committee. And meanwhile, the world goes to hell. We stand by. Let me just ask you a few questions today. And these are just questions for you. Number one, what are you pretending not to know? In your life, in the world today, what are the things you're pretending not to know? You pretend not to know that there are poor people in your own community. Let's start there. You, you pretend not to know that. If you acted like you knew it, you'd have to help. You pretend like you don't know that. You pretend like you don't know that people are dying and going to hell without the gospel. If you acted like you knew that, you'd have to tell them. You pretend like you don't know. 
You pretend like you don't know that your daughter is in an abusive relationship with a man that she should have never moved in with. You pretend not to know that. If you act like you know it, you'd have to help her and you're done helping her. What are you pretending not to know? It is an amazing capacity of the human mind to simply go blind selectively to the things it doesn't want to see. What is it that you don't want to see? What is it that you're pretending not to know? Let's keep going. What situation have you been watching wishing somebody would do something? Well, what situation in your life have you been watching and wishing somebody would do something? It's time for you to quit watching. It's time for you to do something. I don't, I don't know where you work. I don't know who's suffering at the place where you work, but you know you, you, you're seeing it happen. I don't know who's being bullied at school. I don't know who it is in your life that you see suffering every day and you're thinking somebody ought to step up. I'm telling you, that somebody is you. You will be accountable for all of the suffering that you have witnessed in your life and you stood by there and acted like nothing was happening the whole time wishing somebody would step up and do something. Why is it never you or me? We have excuses. I've been driving up and down my lane. I live down this long country lane with the cornfield down this side. It's just awesome. But right now, there are three trillion rabbits up and down my lane. And it's really kind of funny. They're just everywhere as, as, I, as I drive home. Where did three trillion rabbits come from? Well, we started with two. Somewhere we started with two. And, and in your life, excuses are like rabbits. You start with two, and then before you know it, you've got a thousand. And you have a thousand excuses for not actually following Christ and doing anything in this world. You got a thousand reasons why somebody else should do it, but you shouldn't have to get involved. Your excuses will be meaningless the day you stand before the Lord and give an account for all of the times that you stood by and let evil win. That there are no excuses. What situation have you been watching wishing somebody would, would do something, somebody would help? Whose suffering have you avoided because you didn't want to get involved? That person that you know is needy, and so you've just learned how to just dodge them because you don't want to get involved. You don't want to share any of your wealth. You don't want to share any of your food. You're just done helping people for whatever reason. When you see a needy person coming your way, you, you act like you're going the other direction. I'm saying, who is it in your life who's suffering you've been avoiding because you don't want to get involved? You don't want to get your hands dirty with the mess of somebody else's life. Who? Who's, who's suffering are you avoiding? We call ourselves Christians. Do you remember the gospel? How the God of heaven looked down and saw a world full of sinners condemned to hell. But what did he do? He could have stayed off in heaven and just let us perish. But because of his great love, he who knew no sin became sin itself. He came down into the muck of our mess and he took our sin on himself. This is what Christ does. He doesn't run away from suffering. He runs into suffering for the sake of saving others. And if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to take up your cross and follow him, you're going to do the same thing or you're not going to follow Christ. You understand in, in high school um, I had a best friend I loved him he was a good guy R really I looked up to him a lot I remember one day 
We were changing classes, Warren Central High School a thousand years ago. Um, it's going through the hall, and there was just this, this thug guy. I mean, he was just, he's just this redneck, uh, pot smoking, rock and roll kind of guy. And uh, he had my buddy, my best friend, he had him up against the locker, like chest to chest. I mean, he was obviously uh, about to beat him up. Now, aside here, this guy, this poor pot-smoking guy, he had this girlfriend that just was not pretty, but he always thought everybody wanted his girlfriend. So anytime he accused you of wanting his girlfriend, you can't win because you can't say, dude, nobody wants your girlfriend. I mean, that girl is so, I mean, you have her. You can have her. All, I mean, you can't say that because then he's going to beat you up anyway. And so he would always accuse you of wanting his girlfriend. And so, you know, if he accuses you, you're just dead. I mean, he's just going to beat you up. And so my buddy was up against the locker with this guy accusing him of all this. And um, I was walking by him, and, uh, and my buddy looked at me like, you know, and I just walked right on by. Now, why did I walk right on by? Well, have y'all looked at me? At the present moment, I weigh like 30 pounds more than I did my senior in high school. You understand? If there's going to be a fight breaking out, I am useless. I'm useless. I, I, I can't help you. The only thing I could have done that day is probably just jump in there and, and get beat up with him. Understand? I mean, I, I, I can't throw a punch. I had an older sister. She beat me up every day of my life. <laughs> and she fights like a girl. I walked right on by him, walked right on by. I prayed for him, I think, you know, <laughs> help him, Lord. Later that day, I, I saw my buddy, and he said, why did you just walk by? He said, you, you saw me standing there. You, you saw that guy in my face. You, you know he was about to do to me. Why, why did you just walk by? I said, you know me. <laughs> You, you, uh, how tough am I? I mean, how much help would I be? You, you, what was I supposed to do? Just get in there and get beat up with you? My, my best friend said, um, that would have been something. You know, I'm 50 now. All those years later, I would rather be standing here telling you a story about the day I got beat up in the hall with my buddy than telling you the story about the day I walked by right before my buddy got beat up. I, I would rather tell you the story of how I got beat up with him. Because I think that's what a friend does. I think that's what a man of God does. I don't think a man or woman or person of God will see someone suffering and walk by like that's not happening. I don't think people who follow Christ will stand by while others suffer. And those of us who do will be judged. That is the short-winded message of a prophet named Obadiah. In every situation, Christ compels us to do all the good we can. You'll never be, ever be asked to do what you can't do, but we are always responsible to do what we can. Do what you can.
pray with me. Oh, Christ, forgive us. Forgive us. We have arranged our lives, Lord, so that we don't really have to look at suffering except on television. Our neighborhoods are designed now, Lord, to keep the wrong people out so we don't really have to live that close to poor people. And our schools are set up, Lord, in such a way where we, we really don't have that many of, of the other kind of kids in, in our schools, Lord. It's, it's kind of convenient for us because in a moment like this, in a sermon like this, we can just sort of sit back and say, well, I don't really know of anybody who is suffering. I really don't know anybody who is poor or lost or weak or orphaned or defenseless. I just don't know anybody who needs my help. God, it is one thing to see. It's another thing to try not to see. And Lord God, we are very, very guilty of trying not to see and trying to tell ourselves that somebody else ought to do it. It can't be us and that someone else should step up and we wag our heads and sometimes shed a tear, but we don't do a blessed thing. We don't do anything. Lord God, set our hearts on fire that we will run toward those who are suffering and that we would run into danger and that we would run to those who are defenseless and powerless and poor. That, Lord God, we would refuse to stand by another moment and act like we don't know. Lord Jesus, we know, and because we know, we must do something. We must do what you would do. We must do what we can in your name. Lord Jesus, break our hearts, open our eyes, give us courage, courage to step out into our own lives and do all the good we can because Christ compels us to do all that we can in his name. Jesus, send us out to do all we can in your name, for the sake of the world. Pray these things in your precious name.